You are listening to Sparking Wholeness with Erin Carey, where we talk about all things related to nutrition for mind, body, and soul. Are you ready? Let's do this. Hey everyone, it's Erin Carey and welcome back to Sparking Wholeness. Today we have a very special episode for you all about the topic of sleep. This is a much requested topic and I'm sitting here with Morgan Adams. She is a holistic sleep coach for women who struggle with getting a good night's sleep consistently. Her goal is to help women feel better and live better. And the key to both begins with a good night's sleep. Morgan is also a former insomniac who spent almost a decade using prescription sleeping pills, despite knowing that her overall sleep quality suffered. She's also a two-time breast cancer survivor who advocates for a lifestyle of disease prevention and integrating holistic strategies for cancer treatment. So Morgan, welcome to the show. Thank you, Erin. It's great to be here. Appreciate this. Oh, this is so, I mean... So many people just want to know about how to have a better night's sleep. So even your line there about women who struggle with getting a good night's sleep consistently, that keyword consistently, I think is really big for everybody. Yes, absolutely. We've always heard that eight hours of sleep is what we all need, generally speaking. And you say that might not be the case, but what is your thoughts on the whole, everybody needs eight hours of sleep? Yeah. So that seems to be what you hear in the media. I get targeted a lot of ads because I'm a sleep coach and there's a lot of you know, talk about must get eight hours. And so really with the National Sleep Foundation's recommendations, they're recommending seven to nine hours for adults 18 to 64. So I think where, what they're, where the aid is coming in is it's between seven and nine. And if you look more closely at their recommendations, you'll see sort of like in the fine print, they say six to 10 hours may be appropriate for some people. So that's quite a bit of latitude. But what we find is that most people do the best between seven and nine. Now, what I really want to stress to everybody listening is that it's so important to find like your own sleep need. Like we all have our own sleep need and it's kind of like the way we all have our own calorie needs. So Aaron, you wouldn't need as many calories as your calorie requirement as a, a huge football linebacker. Right. So, so you may not need eight hours. You might need 6.4, you know, six hours and 45 minutes. That mm-hmm. might be your sweet spot. So really it's, it's sort of on us to find out that sweet spot for us. What we do know though, is that when you look at comorbidity data, When you go six hours and under, what you will see is you'll see somewhat of a trend toward more chronic disease when you're getting six hours or under. And conversely, when you're looking at 10 hours or over, you also see higher rates of Hmm. disease. So there does seem to be this sweet spot between seven to nine. But I really just want to stress to everybody, if you're not getting eight hours and you're feeling okay, don't worry about it. What I really, I really feel bad though about is when people who have insomnia hear constantly, you must get eight hours because a lot of people with insomnia are not reaching that. And they become extremely worried because they feel like they're not meeting that quote requirement. So I just want to just give that as a perspective and sort of, you know, eight hours is more of a guideline than like a requirement. 
Yeah, that's, that's a really good thought. And I like how it is so individualized and it also depends on seasons of life, right? Like there were seasons of my life when I do, did require more and there are seasons of life. I'm thinking about babies <laughs> when yes. I required more and I didn't really get more, but I still may, I still managed. Okay. Like I, when my babies were little, I don't know if I was just given some extra supernatural strength or something, but my sleep was always interrupted. And I did feel like the sleep I got was restful. So how does all that factor in? Yeah. So you, you hit on a good point. Um, I think there are certain times in our lives when we need, when we're able to get by with less sleep. So you're, you're exactly right for new moms. There must be some kind of adaptive mechanism that we have (laughs) when we're, you know, when we're new moms and we're, you know, trying to get by on less sleep. I know it can be really frustrating. It's a really sensitive topic. A lot of women are not getting the adequate social support they need. Um, It's really tough. And then, you know, not only just seasons of life, but day to day, you know, Mm -hmm. for example, if you're, if you're exerting a lot of energy during the day, if you're, you know, doing a lot of gardening or, or yard work, maybe, and you're doing a lot of other physical activity, you might need more sleep that night than you would if you were just sitting on your couch all day watching TV. So it really can vary, but we do generally tend to have this sort of sweet spot that we, that we kind of need to figure out and kind of use as a benchmark, but it doesn't have to be set in stone for every single night. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. Well, and even like, like you said with the activity levels, so many of us, many, especially Americans, we are living pretty sedentary lives. And and if we do work out, it's like, I don't know, 30 minutes to an hour, a few times a week. And then that's it. We're not really moving around in between in our day to day. How does that impact our sleep? Yeah. So we really want to make sure that we're getting physical, like a decent amount of physical activity, say like 30 minutes, five days a week, at Mm -hmm. least. There've been lots of studies showing that sleep, um, that exercise impacts our sleep for the better. So it impacts our sleep on a few different measures. So we have uh, people sleeping better, um, sleeping longer, uh, more efficiently. They've even shown that getting a lot of um, exercise will help with your deep sleep. They've they've done like um, for, for their 13 different meta-analysis showing that deep sleep improves with exercise. Mm. And that's even more important as we get older. So people who are midlife and beyond, they will find more benefits with deep sleep. If with, with deep sleep, if they're getting consistent exercise. Yeah. And does it matter what kind of exercise? You know, that's a good question. They've done different studies and they found somewhat different results, but Mm -hmm. the one that I really find interesting is one that was done fairly recently. And it was done on midlife people. And what they found that moderate aerobic intensity workouts gave people better sleep results than intense aerobic or intense strength training. So sometimes we think more is better, more intense is better, (laughs) but actually in this particular study, what we're finding is that moderate is sort of the sweet spot for us. That's super interesting. Yeah. 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 Now I've noticed just personally that when I started, I'm, I'm a big yoga fanatic, right? Mm. And so when I started incorporating that, and even when I started doing more of the restorative type of yoga in the evening time, especially I sleep so much better. So I wonder what that connection is. Yeah. I think there are a lot of people who have been in similar circumstances and found that restorative yoga, not the hot yoga or the right. fast yoga, but there's just something that's, that's very gentle and soothing mm-hmm. about those 
slow movements where you're stretching mm-hmm. um, before bed that I think a lot of people are finding benefit from. So general yoga and stretching is definitely um, something that I recommend people consider, you know, as part of an evening routine. Yeah. And, you know, as we are talking about this, another thing that comes to mind on the topic of sleep and getting beneficial sleep is the quality of air that we are inhaling when we sleep. Did you know that Americans spend an average of 90% of their time indoors and take about 20,000 breaths a day? According to the EPA, indoor air is two to five times more polluted than outdoor air, and in some cases, up to 100 times more polluted. That is a really big deal. And when we are sleeping at night, we are continuously breathing in and breathing out that indoor air. And that is why I am pleased to share that this episode is sponsored by Air Doctor. Like I said, when you're at home sleeping in your bed, if the air in your bedroom is polluted, do you really think you're going to be getting quality sleep? I know for me, I have struggled over the years, especially when I was a lot younger with allergies and asthma and any kind of breathing issues, any kind of seasonal changes outside and what my dog is bringing inside when he goes outside, that makes an impact on what I'm breathing in when I'm sleeping. And so I have really enjoyed having an air doctor in my bedroom. I can tell you for sure, since getting that air doctor and putting it in my bedroom at night while I'm sleeping and having it continuously running throughout the day, it has made a huge improvement in my seasonal sniffles that I have experienced in recent years this same time of year. This air purifier has captured the attention of established media outlets such as CNN, Money, ABC, and more. Air Doctor filters out 99.99% of dangerous contaminants and allergens such as pollen, pet dander, dust mite, mold, and even bacteria and viruses so your lungs don't have to. That's a big deal for me. I'm incredibly allergic to mold. I'm incredibly allergic to dust. And so the fact that I know for sure that it's filtering out the majority of it That helps me to rest so much better at night, literally. All Air Doctor purifiers also feature WhisperJet fans, and they are 30% quieter than ordinary air purifiers. I also like that there is a dim light feature on it so that it doesn't interfere with your sleeping at night. Air Doctor also comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee, so if you don't love it, just send it back for a refund, minus shipping. Head to airdoctorpro.com and use promo code SPARK and depending on the model, you'll receive up to 39% off or up to $300 off. Exclusive to podcast customers, you will also receive a free three-year warranty on any unit, which is an additional $84 value. Lock the special offer by going to airdoctorpro.com and use promo code SPARK. Now, Morgan, getting back to, you were just talking about evening routines. I would love to know your thoughts on how important morning and evening routines are for improving sleep. Yeah, uh, I think they're actually critical. So we hear a lot of uh, parents talk about their wind down routines for their children. Mm-hmm. You know, they give their children a bath, read them a story, rub their back, yet a lot of the parents are not doing the same types of wind down routines for themselves. And so I'm, I encourage everyone to really consider doing some kind of wind down routine. It doesn't have to be long and elaborate, but some kind of predictable routine that gets you into sort of a decelerated state. You can kind of wind down, decompress, 
And then with morning routines, I think those are actually personally for me and I met in my life really more important than the evening routine. Because I think Louise Tay has a great quote, how you start your day is how you live your day. So if you are starting your day with some kind of predictable routine that gives you some kind of intentionality, it actually can help mitigate stress from the get-go as soon as our feet hit the ground. And if you can begin your day without a lot of stress, chances are the day will go on and you won't have as much stress building up. So I have actually built a free mini course that goes deeper into morning and evening routines and how to create the one that is going to be working best for you. So people can check that out if they're interested. Awesome. Yes. And I will make sure and list that at the end of the, in the show notes for sure. And um, we can swing back to that at the end when we, when I get your website and all of that, because I think that's really important because as you're saying that I'm like, well, yeah, I've got a pretty decent wind down routine. I feel like I handle that really well, but my morning routine has always varied according to, I hate to say it, but my kids, I've got a 19 year old, a nine year old and a six year old who, when this airs might be seven, but that a lot of times, especially when they were little, my morning routine depended on when they woke me up. (laughs) Right. Right. So so how can someone get into a morning routine that works for them and be consistent at it? Yeah. Well, I think really it's um, a matter of just being intentional and setting the time on which do you want to actually begin your day? And I've heard a lot of other clients who have kids who are younger. They say that their kids sort of dictate their, when the day begins, but in actuality, like you're the parent, right? So <laughs> you get to, you get to be the one deciding. Um, so it's kind of a, a little bit of a, a turnaround there, but I think that when you have that consistent wake up time, that's such a super important way to begin your day. And we need that regularity, um, in the morning, as far as our wake up time to strengthen our circadian rhythm. Um, another really important part of the morning routine is getting out and getting sunlight, getting natural daylight for at least 10 minutes. Mm-hmm. That is something that a lot of people miss and they make, they may be getting outside Aaron, but I tell you what, I see a lot of people walking their dogs along with me in my neighborhood and they're wearing sunglasses Yeah, and it may not even be sunny. It may be just kind of like partly sunny. And the reason why we don't want to wear sunglasses in that early morning walk is because our eyes need to um, hit the actual sunlight, like the the light needs to hit our retinas. What happens in that case is it sends the signal to our suprachiasmatic nucleus, which is our circadian pacemaker. And from there, there's this wonderful cascade of hormone and neurotransmitters that are, that are happening. So it's shutting down any kind of residual melatonin from the night before boosting your serotonin and it's preparing the melatonin for the following night. So a a lot of really great things are happening when your eyes get exposed. So just do yourself a favor and just maybe leave your sunglasses at home for that morning walk. Yeah. Oh, I'm so glad you said that. That is, that's so important. And that morning walk, I think about how many people spend 10 minutes on their phone in the morning, right? (laughs) And and that's like the instant input is, Ooh, all the alerts, all the notifications, all the urgency, when instead of the scroll for 10 minutes, they could be outside for 10 minutes. Yeah. And somebody came up with this. I can't claim to have, have created this, but it's so brilliant. It's sun before screens. Yes. (laughs) It's just a little rule of thumb that I just thought was, it just summed it up so well. And I, I don't know who said it. So whoever said it, Thank you for saying that. It's really brilliant. 
Yeah. I think that's a great challenge for listeners, for all of us. Like, okay, before you pick up your phone, before you get into the, just take an extra 10 minutes. We're not talking about a full on workout, but take a little stroll around the neighborhood. I, I will say I did this. Oh goodness. This was last. When was this 2022? I start. I had a puppy that had lots of energy. I'm like, I just need to get him out. And what is it hurting me to get out and start walking every morning? Just 10 minutes, 20 minutes. And I was pretty religious about this, doing this every single morning. I did it for about four or five months. And then I won't go into exactly what happened that caught me off guard. Some of it was weather related. Some of it was my own personal, I call it traumageddon that happened. <laughs> I had an explosion of trauma in my life where I just, my body went boom, depleted. And it, I was doing everything I could to survive, which is fine. You know, we all have those seasons, but when I was doing that morning walk, that was so helpful for my sleep, for my mood, for my energy. I think like if there's anything that I could recommend to people just personally for just a quick, like, just try it out. I, what you said, I think that would be key. Yes. And I, I follow up with on that point is that when I am talking to my clients at the end of working together and we're kind of summarizing like what interventions worked the best for them were the most impactful. It usually seems to be that morning walk getting out in the yeah. sun, because it's something that I really reinforce with them. And it's, it's so it's actionable. It's free. And, you know, if we, for example, like if it's raining or whatever, we can just, you know, maybe look out the window if we have a, a an open screen porch and get some sunlight that way. Or, you know, what I did recently is I just bought myself a rain jacket with a hood <laughs> and I just suck it up and get wet because I really know personally how much that morning sunlight is helping my energy and my mood throughout the day. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I'm so glad you touched on that. Cause I'm bringing back my morning walk personally, <laughs> just because I know it's something that I've missed <laughs> and I, and I really love. And I think that that is an actionable free thing we can do, but why are the free things so hard? Why are those the hardest ones to incorporate? Everybody wants to buy the supplement that pops up on our ads. I know it's, it's an interesting point because we're always like seeking out like the most advanced type of technology we can find in hopes that it's going to make a difference. But when you really look at all the interventions that are available to us, the ones that make the biggest difference are the ones that are free, but we just kind of, we, I think it's because we take them for granted mm -hmm. because they're, they're free. You're right. You know? <laughs> Nature, nature's free. Nature <laughs> and, it's, free. and we don't get it. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So tell me, you know, a lot of times we hear that in order to have good sleep hygiene before bed, we need to be off of our screens for two hours or more before bedtime. And that's really hard for most people to do. Where do you fall on yes. that? So I tend to be a, a bit more lenient with that type of quote rule. And the reason is, is because I really feel like what we're consuming on our screens has as much bearing as the blue light does. Mm. So let me kind of explain what I mean by that. So when you're using a phone, for example, you could be looking at either passive or active media. So active media would be texting, social media, um, passive media would be like uh, meditation apps, breath work. So we really want to focus on the content and focus on things that are not activating and stimulating content for sure. So we want to also be, be mindful though of the blue light. So I would say at least give yourself at least a half an hour 
of no, of no screens or no blue light um, before bed. I think two hours is just slightly unrealistic for most people and the way that we're living these days. Um, blue light blockers can be really helpful, especially if you have lighter color eyes. Um, mm. They even did some kind of, um, I don't want to say study, but some kind of survey. They, they asked Aura Ring users um, their habits and they found that there was 7% less wake time for Aura Ring users that wore blue block blocking glasses at night. So that we do have some evidence anecdotally that blue light blocking glasses can be helpful um, in reducing, um, you know, in helping us with our sleep at night. Yeah. So can you break that down and why do we hear that about what, what's the problem with blue light? So with, with blue lights, it's impacting our melatonin secretion. And that melatonin secretion is something that we really need to have to prepare ourselves for sleep. So when you get a really good high quality pair of blue, blue light blocking glasses, it's going to um, help you significantly. And most people are, most people are falling um, in line with that. And there's, you know, always some differences in how effective blue light blocking glasses can be for people. We need to think about like eyelid thickness and that's hard to measure. Mm. Um, people with darker eyes may not be as um, impacted by mm -hmm. blue light. Um, but I think it's a good thing to try as just a precautionary measure um, anyway, since it's a low level, not super high tech um, intervention. Yeah. And um, just on the subject of TV, a lot of people ask me about, is it okay to watch TV? And a lot of people are actually really surprised that TV is my own personal evening routine. <laughs> and people are like, what, you're a sleep coach. And so really, if you, if you enjoy watching TV um, and you're not having problems sleeping, there's no reason why you should stop doing something. But if you want to watch TV, there are some measures you can take to kind of make it easier for you to fall asleep. So number one is watching TV on an actual TV, not getting a laptop and putting it next to your face. And then, you know, obviously wearing some blue light blocking glasses. And then also, again, it goes back to the content. So really scary, stimulating, provocative content mm -hmm. can activate you and yes. it can impede your ability to fall asleep. So me personally, when I'm choosing content, I'm choosing like really um, generic kind of like maybe a documentary about food or mm -hmm. something that's not going to be scary or stimulating. So if you enjoy watching TV at, at night as part of your wind down routine, there's no reason why you shouldn't be able to do it just using some, you know, some precautionary types of measures. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, I feel that same way. I, and I, I am so sensitive to stimulating content even. So right now it is college football season. And the other night there were quite a few really close call games on TV and it was my bedtime. It was close to nine o'clock. I really like to wind down like nine, nine 30. That's good for me. But there were these games that it was just and I could feel it. I could feel like my heart rate. I mean, these weren't even games that I cared about, but they were stimulating to me. And it was really hard for me to go to sleep after that. And so I, and that is something that's changed as I've gotten older. It seems like I'm just more sensitive to anything that's stimulating, probably having to do with my own stress loads with everything that we do as women. But yeah, like, I think that that's important for everybody just tune in. Like, what is it that you're watching that could be impacting sleep? Yeah. And, and another uh, point about stimulating things is 
A lot of times in the evening, what people will do with their partner is use that time to catch up and talk. And that's great. But I think what ends up happening sometimes with some people is that they go into topics that are sort of the hot buttons. (laughs) And that can sometimes be like finances or the kids. So if there are topics that usually get a little bit triggering, you may want to table those topics with your partner for another time, like the day or the weekend. Um, You know, that's something that people don't talk about as much. And Mm -hmm. I think it, it should be pointed out because I think that probably everyone has had like some kind of disagreement with their partner at night and it Mm -hmm. affected their sleep. They just didn't Mm -hmm. sleep as well. So something that something to consider for sure. Oh, I think that's a great point. Yes. I totally agree with that. Now tell me, what do you believe are the two most powerful things that you should be doing daily to sleep better? Yeah, we kind of went over these, but I'll recap them. So number one is having a consistent wake up time. So a lot of people will say to me, well, does that mean the weekends? And I'm like, yes, it actually does. Because your body and brain don't know the difference between the day, the weekday or the weekend. And so the reason why it is so important is because we need um, a consistent wake up time to strengthen our circadian rhythm. And what we will find is when we have a really solid, consistent wake up time, we will get sleepy around the same time each night. So it would be probably somewhere around 14 to 16 hours after we wake up that our adenosine, our sleep chemical rises and becomes at its peak and it needs to be released with sleep. So what we find is that when we have that consistent wake up time, our bedtime is usually fairly consistent, right? And what they did find as far as consistency for women, they did a study about this and they found that women who had a 90 minute plus variance in their sleep wake time had a higher body fat percentage than women who had 60 minutes or less variance. Wow. So that regularity really impacts our metabolic health. Mm -hmm. So if we can keep it pretty tight. Now, one thing that I'll point out is um, a lot of times in the media, I will see things like you must have a a precise bedtime every night. And Mm -hmm. I really, I really push back against that because we want to make like, for example, we, we would probably want to advise an hour bedtime window versus Mm -hmm. one specific time. Um, For example, if um, I told you to go to bed, you're going to go to bed tonight at 10, Aaron, you might not be sleepy, but you might get into bed because you think 10 is a good bedtime. But if you're not sleepy enough, you're going to lie there and you're going to toss and turn and you might have heightened anxiety. So really what I recommend for people, whether or not they have insomnia or not, is to really rely on your internal cues of sleepiness as a signal to go to bed. And when you're getting up at the same time every morning, those cues of sleepiness will arise, you know, within probably an hour window. Hmm. So that's the first, that's the first free, love that. uh, free tip. And then the second one we kind of did go over already. And that is just the morning sunlight and getting that every morning for about 10 to 15 minutes. If it's overcast, you want to probably give yourself a little more time and you want to try to get in a few short little outside breaks throughout the day, especially in the early part of the day to just help you with your mood. So the, the noontime sun actually helps with our mood. Hmm. So, and we, and to just to kind of piggyback on that, we talk a lot about light and I just, I just shared a bunch of information about that. We also want to really make sure that we have adequate darkness at night. 
Mm. So we want to really consider dimming our lights at night at home. So like after dinner, making our, like if we've got overhead lights on, turning those off and turning on like a table light and dimming those lights, because that is actually going to help get us in the frame of mind to become ready for bed. Yeah. And how about, how do you feel about sleep masks? Because my sleep mask is like my best friend at night. (laughs) You know, it's a really individual preference. I have a a lot of people who, um, a lot of clients who love them. um, And I think they're great. If you can get the right one, some of them are are better than others. Some of them are better at blocking the light. Some of them Mm -hmm. are more breathable. So I think it's really a personal preference of finding the one that you like. But as far as blocking out the light, I think they're a great choice because not everyone has the ability to get really good blockout shades or curtains. So I think it's, it's a fabulous thing. There's absolutely no issue with it at all. If you love them, yeah. go for it. Well, and they make them for kids. So oh. my middle child, my nine-year-old has a long history of just having a very active brain at night. And his secret probably for about two years now has been the sleep mask. They have little animals on them. We just got them on Amazon. They don't bother him. And he that's his, he's like me, that's his best friend as well. <laughs> and, that is cute. and I read somewhere too, that it, it stimulates the vagus nerve, the pressure on, if you get the kind that put pressure on the eyelids, isn't that interesting? That is. Yeah. Now that you mentioned it, they do have, um, they do have eye masks that are weighted. Oh. So that, that could play into that, but I haven't, huh. I have one pair, honestly, that I just use when I travel. Yeah. I keep them in my suitcase because when you go to a hotel, hotel or an Airbnb, you can't always know in advance how the lighting situation would be, but actually in my bedroom, I have really good blockout shades. I just was like, I made that a priority when we moved in this house. I'm like, we're going to get yeah. some really high quality ones because I know how important the the darkness is for sleeping. So yeah, it's so important, but I, I agree. Hotel sleeping, you never know. And I've never slept really well in other places at hotels until I, I got my best friend, my sleep mask. Tell me, is there like one, I mean, you talked about the window, the bedtime window, the one hour window, is there a time like people should really get to bed before this time because of all the things that happen when we're sleeping? Well, it really depends on your chronotype. So chronotypes are basically your propensity to be a morning morning lark or a night owl. Mm. So if you are a night owl, you might find yourself wanting to stay up until midnight or maybe later. And really, you know, I tend to veer toward letting people honor their chronotype. And if that's really their natural rhythm to honor that. So I really, there's really not like a hard and fast rule about, you know, you must get to sleep at this time, but we do want to consider that when we are getting into the first couple hours of our sleep, we're mainly in the phase of deep sleep. And that's a really critical phase of sleep where our brains are going through sort of a detox. Um, Our bodies are in that repair mode. So if we are missing that opportunity, you know, for like, if we're staying up till two, that's probably, probably a little bit too far off, you know, as far as, um, ensuring that you, um, are getting that deep sleep. And also if you're going to bed at two, you might be sleeping until 10 and you're missing that daylight. So everything kind of gets thrown off if you're going to bed too late. Um, but you know, every so often it's, it's perfectly fine to, you know, stay up later, but you just don't want to make it like a real habit. 
Yeah, that's good. And again, individualization, I think that's important. So let's talk real fast about sleep aids and things like supplements or medication for sleep. Where do you stand on that? Yeah. Well, I actually was dependent on Ambien for Mm. for eight years and I have some pretty strong opinions on it. So I come at this with a bias. Um, (laughs) At the time I had sleep onset insomnia. So it would take me about two hours to fall asleep. Mm-hmm. And my primary care doctor prescribed the Ambien and I took it. Um, and at that time in my, my life, I was a pharmaceutical sales rep. So in my, in my world, there was a pill for every ill. So mm-hmm. I just, I just took it without question. And while it did get me to sleep a little bit more quickly, what happened was there was a lot of residual side effects the next day. So I actually did not become fully awake or alert and focused until close to noon. I felt like, I felt like I had a hangover and I hadn't even had alcohol. And what I came to find out later when I started really studying sleep is that 80% of people who take prescription sleeping aids have some kind of residual side effect the next day, like trouble getting up, fogginess, um, difficulty concentrating. So it actually started to create some problems with my work because I wasn't able to write fast enough for my job. Um, I also had some like late night eating episodes. So what ended up happening is in 2019, they put a black box warning on these categories of drugs that called Z drugs, Ambien, Lunesta, Sonata. And the reason they did that is because people were having serious accidents. They were getting behind the wheel. And so there's a black box warning, which a lot of people don't know. And, you know, I'm not opposed to, prescription sleeping aids across the board, but I really feel like primary care doctors are prescribing them without an exit strategy. So if you look at the package insert of a sleeping pill, it does state clearly they shouldn't be used for more than two or three weeks. Yet doctors or primary care doctors are prescribing them for long-term periods of use without telling the patient, okay, you're only going to be on this for a month and here's how you'll get off them. So many of my clients have been in that situation where they've been on sleeping pills for 10, 20 years, and that has just been allowed to go on. So, Mm -hmm. um, I'm very, I'm very, um, cautious about the use of taking them. I think when, when there are situations like there's a death or a divorce or some kind of tragedy, if you're leaning on them for a couple of weeks, so be it, you know, to get you through. But after that, there has to be some kind of exit strategy because it, it's, it's really a bandaid a bandaid for your sleep issues. It's not getting to the root cause. So I've got some strong opinions on that, but I'm very, I'm very aware, you know, of my biases. Um, So if you want to learn more about sleeping pills, uh, go read Dr. Matthew Walker's why we sleep. He has a whole chapter. It will, (laughs) it will, uh, it will be quite enlightening to, to read a lot of the research that has been done. I won't go into it all here, but Mm. He does do a a really um, incredible job with sharing some of the downsides of long-term use. So check out that book for, for that and other, you know, types of sleep gems that he has. Yeah. I just got that book a few weeks ago, but I was, I'm finishing up with my functional medicine study. I was like, okay, I do not have time to read. It's very small print. It's a lot of words. So I haven't even opened it yet, but um, I agree that that is an incredible resource. I've heard it recommended by many people that I respect, respect and admire. And with you doing all this major deep dive work on sleep. That, um, is just another good recommendation. Another reason to need to read it. So what about, um, middle of the night wake-ups, like, especially, you know, 
the perimenopausal among us. Um, and, and, and in general, I mean, there are so many reasons that people wake up in the middle of the night. What do we do? Yeah. Well, first of all, let me normalize that it's totally normal to wake up in the middle of the night. In fact, most healthy adults could wake up up to a dozen times during the night. Hmm. And what, what we have been, what we have been told is that after each sleep cycle is completed, we have a brief wake up. And that brief wake up is designed to help us scan for our safety. We are, we do a brief scan and then we go right back to sleep. So brief wake ups are not a big deal. So if you have a brief, brief wake up, don't, don't fret. You're totally normal. The issue is when we have a wake up and we start to ruminate and we can't get back to sleep. And when it ends up happening is when we have these wake ups, we are operating from our emotional part of the brain, the amygdala. And our thoughts tend to get irrational and <laughs> catastrophic, right? Yep. So sometimes <laughs> what you'll realize you'll, you'll, in the morning, you'll say, you'll think to yourself, wow, I woke up at 3am and I was thinking these crazy thoughts. Like I would have never thought that now, you know, it's just like your brain is completely, I call it the morning, the, the day brain versus the night brain. Mm-hmm. There's sort of that battle between the two. So if you find yourself waking up at night there are a few different strategies that I recommend for getting back to sleep. So number one comes from something called cognitive behavioral therapy for insomnia. It's called stimulus control, kind of a strange term, but what it basically means is if you're awake for say more than 30 minutes and you start to feel that anxiety creep up, you start to feel like, uh, am I ever going to get back to sleep? What you can do is you can get out of your bed, go to another room and then in dim light, do something quiet and relaxing until you become sleepy. And then you go back into your bedroom to try to sleep again. So that's a technique that is used quite often in um, insomnia treatment. A lot of people do this. It's called um, stimulus control. And then for people who are adverse to getting out of bed, some people just refuse to get out of bed because it's the bed's cozy sometimes. (laughs) So what you can do in those situations is you could do um, different various relaxation techniques. You could do breathing exercises. You could do meditation, progressive muscle relaxation, visualization. So there are all sorts of things you can do in your bed if you don't want to get out of your bed. So it's uh, definitely very common. Um, So, but we have some techniques to help us out when we do have those issues. Yeah. Yeah. I appreciate you normalizing it because it is very common, um, but it, it can be so debilitating when it's going on. And then I guess the, the annoyance of it will make it worse. And then that creates a fear of going to sleep because, well, here I am going to wake up again at two 33 or whatever it is. Um, real fast. We touched on the medication. I did not, um, I wanted to circle back to that on supplements. Do you have any yeah. supplements that you recommend? And this will be, ah, oh my gosh, I can't believe what time it is. Like I have so many more questions for you, but yes, tell me about supplements. Yeah. So supplements can be helpful in certain sleep scenarios. However, if you have full-blown insomnia, what we have found is that supplements are really not going to move the needle. So I have a lot of people reach out to me. They find me on social media and they want to know, Hey, they say to me, I've got insomnia. What supplement can I take? Mm-hmm. And we need what we need to really focus on are the behavioral interventions yeah. before the supplements. But if you are the kind of person who you're a decent sleeper, but you kind of want to augment a, a little bit, a sleep supplement can be pretty good. Um, my go-to really for everyone um, is magnesium. I feel like magnesium is actually more of a wellness supplement than a sleep supplement because 
magnesium affects like 300 different enzymatic processes mm -hmm. in the body. Um, you can get full spectrum magnesium, but um, magnesium glycinate is the one that seems to be the most helpful for relaxation and sleep. Um, there's a lot of talk about melatonin that's gotten a lot of buzz recently. And I recently um, started using a plant melatonin mm -hmm. for my own perimenopausal sleep issues <laughs> based on some information that I heard from Dr. Deanna Minnick, who is the mm -hmm. uh, chief scientific officer at Symphony Natural Health. She and I had a talk the other day where she really went deep into the science of herbatonin. And basically it's, it's a, it's all plant. It's not synthetic. And what, mm. what really um, hit home for me when we chatted was that there are 13 potential contaminants in synthetic melatonin. And a lot of people don't realize that. So that's kind of scary. You don't actually know sometimes what's in the, in the synthetic melatonin. And what she also shared with me is that the herbatonin, since it's a plant, it has tons more anti-inflammatory and antioxidant effects than synthetic melatonin. And she showed me a study. It's actually been pretty useful for me. I was having early morning wakeups, like four, mm -hmm. four 30 mm -hmm. and taking the herbatonin has actually allowed me to extend my sleep time to until I'm waking up at my normal time. So I've been, I've been kind of singing the praises of the plant-based melatonin versus the synthetic, just because the plant belt based seems more powerful yeah. uh, or uh, phytonutrient rich and without some of the ingredients that could be in there that we don't want. Yeah. And those seem to be the main types of sleep supplements I, I get asked about a lot, but I mean, it's really trial and error. There are so many out there, but I would recommend that if you are going to buy a sleep supplement to really do your research and find a company that has ethical practices that you know the quality of the ingredients because there's a lot of crap out there. Yeah. There are a lot of companies that are just popping other companies' formulations and mm -hmm. then just making them their own. And they're not doing anything original. They're just sort of reinventing the wheel to make a buck. So there's some shady characters out there. You just want to be careful yeah. when you're out there shopping. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So my last question for you, the name of the show is sparking wholeness. If you could give one piece of advice to spark someone toward wholeness, what would it be? I would say try to not fall prey to the fancy gadgets and biohacking tactics that we see advertised all around us to help our sleep and really lean into the things that we touched on is having consistent sleep, wake cycles, getting adequate day daylight and adequate darkness at night and, and keeping our bodies active at least five days a week. I think when you're practicing those things, wholeness is going to be second nature to you. Yeah. Love it. I totally agree. So tell me where can everybody, where do we get the download? Um, what's your website and all of that? Sure. Thanks for asking. So my website is Morgan Adams wellness.com. And at the top, you can find um, the free mini course. You just click that and download it. And I also offer a sleep clarity call, which is a chance for you to hop on the phone with me free of charge. And you can share what's going on with your sleep and I can help you find potentially the root cause and give you a couple suggestions to get back on track. So I love talking about sleep if it's not already obvious. So please reach out and um, connect with me. I'd love to, to help you out. Well, it's, it's so, so important and is such a needed tool for 
everything. And so for the amount of people that are struggling, we need a thousand of you <laughs> to help. So I'm so glad that you're doing this. And I'm so glad that we had this conversation and you know, like I, I could talk about this forever because it really is that crucial. So I appreciate your knowledge and your willingness to come on the show. Thank you so much for inviting me. The tiniest spark leads to the biggest blaze. And I hope that today's episode sparks you on a journey to healing and wholeness. Thanks for listening to Sparking Wholeness. For more information on what I do and my coaching programs, or maybe just to reach out and say, hey, find me at sparkingwholeness.com or on Instagram at sparkingwholeness. Have a fabulous week.